Welcome to another episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual, Dairy Educator in West Michigan. In today's episode, Forage Educator Phil Cates will talk with Dr. Manny Zeng about corn silage. They will share important information regarding mycotoxins and other management techniques that can improve your silage for 2020. Phil, I turn it over to you. Hello everyone. My name is Phil Cates and I'm the Extension Educator for Michigan State University in Field Crops and Forages. This morning I have Dr. Manny Singh, who is our Cropping Systems Agronomist with MSU Extension. Thanks, Phil. Uh, I would like to uh, acknowledge you and everybody else this, this morning. As Phil said, uh, I'm a Cropping Systems Agronomist uh, with Michigan State University. My research program is looking at how we can improve the productivity, the profitability, as well as the climate resiliency of our cropping systems. So Manny, some of the things with corn silage have been really pretty critical for our dairy producers. We have seen some challenges for a few years, and some of those things deal with mycotoxins in corn silage. What are mycotoxins and, and how do they really occur in the corn crops here in Michigan? Any toxins that are produced by fungal species. They can occur while we are growing crops out in the field or while they are in, in storage conditions. I'm a field agronomist, so my focus is uh, how we can manage these toxins produced by these fungal species while we are growing crops out in the, in the field. And in corn, the, the most common point of entry is through our ears, so the, those silk channels, or if we get any injury on those ears, that's where the, the fungus can go in and uh, produce a disease, what we call ear molds or ear rots. And that can lead to mycotoxins. But there is also some stalk rots that can lead to mycotoxin production, right? So either ear or stalk rot can lead to these mycotoxin production. So Manny, so if I understand how stalk rots and ear rots are, are, are actually in the corn silage, uh, why is it so important to talk about these things uh, from uh, a producer's perspective here in Michigan? We, we talk about these being a, a local issue, right? But they, they actually are a, are a pretty global concern. If you look at some of the, the global stats, uh, almost 25% of crops are being impacted by mycotoxin production. So it's a huge, it's huge. global challenge, right? 25% of the total crop production is, is a pretty big number. So, so that's why it's, it's important that they, they are pretty much everywhere, right? We have capability to detect some of these toxins, but not all of them. And once we detect them, we don't know what levels are minimum to be maintained, right? So we, we are still learning a lot about these, these, these toxins. It's an important issue. And having these toxins impact whoever is going to consume that, that produce, right? We can talk, we're talking about corn silage, but corn grain, DDGs, all of that becomes part of the, the diet, right? So having these toxins, even at low level, can become an, an issue and it can really impact 
the milk production as well as the overall performance of, of animal. So Manny, some of the things that you talk about as far as more of a chronic issue, mm -hmm. we've had years like 2016 and 2018 where we had huge spikes in mycotoxins in our silage crops and our corn crops. And so when we have that happen, is that something that we should be concerned about as dairy producers? So yeah, that, that sort of goes back to why and when do they occur. Just like any disease, mycotoxins, again, are caused by these ear and stalk rots, right? And you need to have that disease triangle to have the disease infection. The first component of that triangle is we have to have a, a susceptible host. And most of our corn hybrids, they are susceptible to this, these fungal species. Number two is we have to have the the pathogen that can cause the disease. For the most part, we have these various species of fusarium that overwinter here in Michigan conditions. So we, we have that. The driver of these uh, fungal diseases and the uh, mycotoxin accumulation becomes that third component, and that's the environment. And you talked about uh, 2016 and 2018. So those were the two years when our environment, essentially our weather conditions were conducive for fungal infection. That pretty much becomes a, a driver of these infections. So yes, we really need to have the whole understanding of when and why these infections occur. Talked about corn hybrids being susceptible. Are all of the corn hybrids susceptible or are there certain types of hybrids that would be less susceptible from a, a phenotype or a, a structure of the plant? compared to others? We have been doing some research and we'll, we will probably talk about the management options later on here, but uh, there is variation in terms of uh, susceptibility to, to these fungal species. What we are finding out is that we don't have a really high level of resistance against this pathogen. So if uh, we were to rate uh, the resistance from a scale of one to nine, nine being resistant, we are only up to five or six. So we don't have those seven and eights. And I think that's true across multiple seed companies, at least the, the, the folks we have talked to. Everybody's working on developing <clears throat> more resistance, but we are still uh, dealing with the more of susceptibility concerns in, in a lot of the germplasm that, that, that we do have. All right, well, thanks. So after we, we talk about the triangle, of the disease, the host, and then the weather, the environmental side of things. Is, is there other things that we should be focusing on as we think about mycotoxins that it, from a producer standpoint? Because I know that farms are very close to being ready to plant their crop out there this year. And so um, I know we've got a we're gonna talk a little bit about management in a minute here, but some of the things that we wanna try and do is provide uh, some help for farms. And so as we think about help, you started or initiated some research in 2019. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Based on my interaction with you and uh, other folks on the, on the dairy as well as the field crops team, uh, we wrote up a proposal in, back in 2018, I believe, uh, and we got uh, pretty good funding support from uh, Michigan Alliance of uh, uh, Animal Agriculture. Uh, as well as uh, some extra support from Michigan Milk Producers Association. So I, I really want to acknowledge uh, them for, for providing some funding 
to, to support this work. Uh, and we started looking at, again, what are we dealing with, right? What, what sort of conditions lead to these mycotoxins and what we can do management-wise to minimize those issues. But we also wanted to have an idea about how widespread these issues are in our state. What is the geographical footprint of these, these mycotoxins? So as part of that, that, that study, we created a, a survey where we, we were asking dairy producers, uh, your silage producers, to send us corn silage samples from their commercial fields. So we can assess what are the, the toxin levels that are present in their, in their feed. So how did that work out for us? So in 2019, if you remember, we had a, a challenging harvesting time, right? It was wet uh, to begin with. We were delayed because of all the planting delays. Everybody remembers that, but we don't want to remember, but that, 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 that is what happened. <laughs> we were still able to collect about, I think, 35 total samples from farmer field, even though 2019 was not an ideal weather season from mycotoxin production, right? A good thing for, for farmers that we didn't have those ideal cool and wet conditions around that silking time when fungal infection could occur. We still saw a lot of mycotoxin in those samples. We sent our samples to our collaborators uh, uh, at University of Ontario, and they were really good at helping us with that. Their lab is designed to test up to 26 different mycotoxins. So when we generally talk about these toxins, deoxynivalinol, also called Dawn, or more commonly called as warm because animals can vomit after feeding on, on, on that diet. So we found that warm was in every single sample that, that we collected in all of those 35 samples. So let me ask you this, you, you collected these samples or we analyzed these samples in every single sample was positive for vomitoxin. Yes. So every single one of them. And, and Vom or Dawn has some other derivatives too. And we had some of those forms on top of Vom in our samples. So what other, not vomitoxin, but what other toxins were found in your samples and which ones out of the 26 should we be most concerned about? I believe there were, uh, about 10 samples or so where we found at least 10 different mycotoxins in each one of those samples. So there was a lot in there that we were not aware of. Uh, I can name a few here. We can start with the zeolinons. So they are produced by the same fungal species that does produce uh, vomitoxins. That, that pink mold that that you will see out on the, on the ears. Okay. The, the next one, the one you're talking about is, is fumonosins. And that's another one that we did found. There are three different types of fumonosins and we did find different levels of all three of them. And that is caused by a different fungal species. You will see like a white star specked symptoms for, for, for those. And we have some resources uh, to to know, like to identify some of these uh, uh, <clears throat> fungal infections out, out in, the, in, the, in, the, in the field when you're scouting. So we did found uh, those as well. Other than that, we also found, I believe the, the T2 toxins as well as the HT2 toxins, which are important for, for animal health perspective too, right? 
So out of all of these different mycotoxins that you found in the corn silage samples, are these mycotoxins also gonna be found in the, the ears or the, whether it's high moisture corn or dry corn samples as well? Yeah, so that, that is a good question. So again, these samples were corn silage samples, right? And at, in 2018, we actually did something similar. Instead of going to commercial farms, um, we went to our corn performance trial locations. And part of a graduate student work who was focused on looking at multiple mycotoxins in corn grain, we sampled each of her location. And we found high levels of some of the same mycotoxins that we are finding out in corn silage. Some of them were even at a higher level than what we are finding out in, in corn silage. And that is to be expected because for corn grain, we are leaving that crop out in the field for longer period of time, right? So the accumulation keeps happening. So Manny, when I, when I think about the fact that you found higher levels in the corn grain than you did in corn silage, that leads me to say that producers should be concerned about this because when you consider 50% of the diet is made up of components of corn, whether it's high moisture corn or dry distiller's grain or corn gluten, that's a high percentage. And even with dried distillers, which is the byproduct of ethanol, those are actually enhanced or multiplied with having more and higher levels of these toxins. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. Yeah, that is definitely true. So in the, in the distilled uh, grains, the accumulation is three times because it gets concentrated. So if you have five PPMs of warm going in, you can expect a 15 PPM concentration in, the, in those grains, in the, in the distilled grains. So that is definitely a concern that if we have even a small amount of these toxins coming from these different components of the diet, it can all accumulate and become a bigger deal, right? And again, we can have these chronic exposures over longer periods of time. So that, yeah, all sources combined can make the, the, the problem even worse. And again, as I was talking about these multiple mycotoxins, we don't even know what we have in, in some of our samples, right? Because again, we are still testing. There are, I believe, more than 100 fungal species that can produce mycotoxins. A hundred? So, yeah. And we're testing for 26. Yeah, so that's it. 26 is the number of mycotoxins that we were able to test for. So there are more than 100 fungal species that can potentially produce mycotoxins. Some just having, a, another important point here is just having a, a mold out in the field does not mean that we are going to get mycotoxins, right? Because sometimes we will see these visual symptoms, deployed the ear rod is an example, it will not produce mycotoxins in our environment. It does produce uh, my, mycotoxin down in Mexico, but in, in our environment, it does not. So that's not an equal correlation. Just having symptoms does not mean we are going to get toxin, but not having any symptoms does not mean that we are not going to have any toxin either, right? So, so it's, a, it's a complex problem that, that we, we need to be aware of for so sure. Manny, one of the things that farmers are concerned about going forward with 
this season's corn crop is the potential for tar spot infection, which is another fungus. And mm -hmm. does tar spot produce any type of mycotoxin that we should be concerned about as dairy producers? No. As far as uh, I know, and I have talked with our pathologist, uh, Marty Chilvis, about that, uh, there are no known <clears throat> mycotoxins that uh, are associated with the with spot. So <clears throat> TASPOT does have a lot of impacts on the growth and development of the plant in itself, right? So the yes. silage quality will get impacted. And we are uh, trying to uh, initiate some research this year to understand what some of those impacts are based on the, on the level uh, incidence and severities of, of tar spot that we might be able to, to see in our plots. So we are trying to do some research to study the impacts on the silage quality, digestibility and other parameters, but there are no known toxins involved with that. that well, that, I guess that is some good news for today. Uh, yep. But as, as we think about uh, all the things we've talked about this morning concerning mycotoxins, what are some management principles that farmers can use during this growing season to help them deal with mycotoxins and mycotoxin production? So yeah, that's, it all boils down to that, right? I mean, the idea is that we need to know that we have these toxins, not only warm, but these other toxins. So it is an issue and we need to manage for it, right? What are those management uh, practices? We can talk about that. I want to say that it is a complex issue and there is no silver bullet here, so to speak, right? So I think we pretty much need to follow those basic integrated pest management approaches, right? Your typical IPM uh, methods that needs to be kept in mind in general for disease management. We have done a lot of work on corn grain. And again, we are starting some work uh, on, the, on the corn silage. So we'll, we'll be developing more information as, as we go through uh, these projects, but we can talk about few here uh, and I, generally try to divide this into like the, the pre-planting, the planting, and then probably the, the, the post-harvesting management, right? If we start with the, the pre-planting options, what we can do, or let me back it up. I think again, in order to manage, I think we again need to look at those, that disease triangle, right? And manage all three aspects of that disease triangle. How we can deal with the susceptible host, how we can deal with the pathogen that can cause disease, and then how we can tweak the environment to again manage the infection level and the mycotoxin production. So starting with that pre-planting, our hybrid selection is, is important there, right? We, we touched on that before a little. Having that genetic resistance inbuilt, uh, that works pretty well. In, in wheat, we have some of these same issues with high warm levels, right? And we have wheat varieties that are, that have high levels of resistance to, to fusarium. But in corn, we don't have those high levels. But there are other plant uh, phenotypes that can cause uh, the, the fungal infection to become severe. So your husk cover, a more tight husk cover can lead to more <clears throat> water that, or moisture that that cob can, can hold, or even a more vertical angle of, of that cob. So those can play a role in the amount of fungal infection we can get. 
maturity of that hybrid is important too because uh, the longer the, the hybrid stays in the, in the field, the, the more accumulation it can get. Uh, more close to the, the cool uh, fall temperatures, the, the, the longer time it will take for, for us to, to mature, right? So not pushing too long on the, on the maturity is important. Selection of optimum insect trait package is important with these BT hybrids. Uh, if insect, for example, a Western bean cutworm or even a European corn borer is a concern in your area, selecting the insect trait packages that can control those insects is important. For Why example, is it so important to control insects? So we have seen some correlation between the Western bean cutworm damage and the fungal infection and eventual mycotoxin accumulation. I see. Especially when the weather is not optimal for fungal development. Like you mentioned before, 2016, 2018, the weather was optimal and that would drive the disease levels. But let's say 2017 or 2019, the weather was not ideal. So now if you have those injury spots due to ear feeding insects, that provides another mechanism for the fungi, fungi to infect those uh, ears and cause, cause accumulation. So picking right. the right trade package is important or even scouting for, for these insects and uh, even spraying an insecticide application might be a useful uh, management tool as well. There's some work done in Ontario on uh, corn grain where they have seen a benefit of uh, insecticide and fungicide tank mix around that, 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 that silking time. So are we recommending an insecticide and fungicide tank mix for producers if they have not found western bean cornfield in their fields? No, if, if we do not see an insect, I would not recommend the insecticide application. It's all, I think it goes back to the approach of scout and spray. So we need the, to know what's in the field before we would actually spray the insecticide out in these fields, correct? Yes, yes, yes. All right. So what other management uh, so should again, we think about? So going to the pre-planting approaches, again, residue management is another approach we need to look into because uh, that provides the inoculum, right? So residue management can be broken into the crop rotation piece and the tillage piece. Generally, we would not recommend to go with the conventional tillage if you are a no-till farmer, because conventional till, again, you can bury those crop residues to minimize the inoculum level, but that is not something we recommend. But going to the other piece, the crop rotation piece can still be implemented that we are rotating to a, a non-host crop. So small grains are a host of fusarium. So we do not want to be rotating continuously into those uh, host crops. So bringing a non-host crop like soybean can be beneficial in terms of minimizing the inoculum load in our fields. So those are some of the pre-planting management. In terms of the in-season management, it comes down to pretty much managing for plant health, just like we would do with any other disease, that we want to maintain the plant health in terms of optimum soil fertility, in terms of controlling other pests in that field, uh, and minimizing any stress levels that, that we have in that field. And also managing for uniformity becomes important if one of our tools is a fungicide application. 
that uh, there are a lot of data out there that shows a beneficial impact of fungicide application in terms of minimizing the disease as well as the mycotoxin accumulation. What we have been seeing with our research is that we do see a, a reduction in disease development, but the reduction in mycotoxin is not always there. So, I see. Okay, so we got to be careful again with that tool. Just using a fungicide application is not a one-to-one -one in terms of the, the, uh, the control of, uh, of these toxins. So the right product, uh, triazoles are, are what are recommended. So Proline is a good, good product that is recommended for managing this disease at the right timing, around silking uh, time before those silks turn brown is the, is the optimal time to apply that fungicide. And the last leg of that management triangle? In terms of, uh, again, I think one piece I missed in there is that how we can manage that environment piece, right? So we have done some research in terms of, can we change our planting time? Week when the crop is in that optimal silking period uh, or when the insect flight is occurring. And we are seeing some data where it shows that if we plant early, we might be able to skip the insect flight and those optimal conditions at the time of silking. But again, that is a little bit of a difficult decision to make, right? If we are Every year to... is so different that it's difficult yep. to say that we're going to plant this day yep. versus another day based on yep. what the weather is. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. so we are seeing some results there, but again, that is... Uh, something we probably will not recommend in terms of managing this, this pest. We are also seeing some results, and there is more research out of Europe on uh, the high seeding rates causing an ideal microclimate for these disease infections to occur and mycotoxins to develop. We have not seen those trends, but we are planning to do more seeding rate trials this year to see if that could be a piece of our, our management tool. Going forward, what can our dairy producers do to help us in the future? We need more data to build that, that, that base. And I talked about that, that survey before. So we are planning to do that again this year. It will be really beneficial to us if we can get some of the samples from grower fields along with some of the management information. So yeah, so we have put together a one-page document that uh, we'll, we'll plan to, to share with the, with the growers. It goes in details about what management information we need and how to collect that, that sample. In return, we will provide that data of up to 26 different mycotoxin analysis back to you. So you will get some direct value and then we'll again, that'll help us build that, that database and uh, uh, help us understand are there specific management conditions that are causing a high or low level of these mycotoxins. Who should they contact in order to participate in the survey? I would say anybody, any extension educator who is on the field crops or on the dairy team will have our information. I really want to thank you and we appreciate your time and your efforts to help our our dairy producers in Michigan do a better job with their corn silage product and really the harvest going forward. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I would like to thank uh, Manny Zhang and Phil for valuable information today. I would like to add 
that the research project described by Dr. Zhang focuses on those producers living in Michigan. For those that listen to us outside the state, you can get the results from this and other interesting research going on in Michigan State University through our website, canr.msu.edu. For those living in Michigan that would like to participate in the study to obtain mycotoxin testing for your corn silage samples, reach out to any dairy or crop educator in Michigan State University Extension. Thank you for listening today and join us next week when I'll be spending some time with Dr. Adam Locke. We will be talking about the latest research in fat supplementation for lactating dairy cows. So please join us then.